Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. And welcome to this week's episode of The Quarterdeck. This week, as we continue with our reading of our book, with the 1st Marine Division in Iraq of 2003, no greater friend, no worse enemy. It is now finally time for the 1st Marine Division to cross that line of departure and make their way from Kuwait all the way into Iraq, into Baghdad. In our hero highlights this week, we're going to take a look at the story and the heroism of 1st Lieutenant Harry Lynn Martin, United States Marine Corps. Drop and give me 25. I'm the gunny. It's time for the it's, it's time for the gunny. It's time. It's time. The quarter deck. Lights, lights, lights. Get in line right now. You got 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Hello, my bunch of knuckle-dragging, beer-drinking, hard-charging devil dogs. You're listening to The Quarterdeck. I am your host, Miguel, the Gunny Signs. Get out the blast! I do solemn swear. I do solemn swear. That I will support you, Phil. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. As much as it saddens me, it's time to officially say goodbye to the Marine Corps birthday week that we just currently had in the Marine Corps. And as far as I know, there were no incidents throughout the United States regarding the birthday of the Marine Corps. I didn't hear of any Marines getting into too much trouble celebrating the Marine Corps birthday this year. But I looked at a lot of pictures on Facebook, on TikTok, and all the things that people were posting in the celebration of the Marine Corps birthday this year. And I got to say, they did not disappoint because you were able to see so many people having so much fun. And that's one of the things that I can honestly say that I know my wife and I both miss celebrating the birthday because we got the opportunity to go down there and just kind of hang out with people, you know, hang out with friends and, and just share stories and stuff like that. And, and that's one of the things that we miss. And I know that I still miss the time that I get an opportunity to actually put on the uniform and go celebrate down there with the fellow Marines of today. But before I do that again, I got to lose a little bit of weight. (laughs) And retiring, you know, just stops you from PTing and all that stuff and everything. And I know I'm not the only one. A lot of veterans that I know, unfortunately, they do uh, stop PTing because we're no longer PTing three days a week or four days a week, whatever we used to do when we were on active duty. And that kind of allows our metabolism to slow down a lot. So we're not able to kind of keep up with those things that we were used to once we were on active duty. Not to mention all the all the hardships and everything else that you're dealing with with your body breaking down because of everything that you did while you were still on active duty. All the running, the hiking, the humps, all those different things that you did. And especially for us as an artillery unit, we're always constantly lifting all those heavy things that we had to do. And speaking of that, you know, I spoke a lot to you guys already about the 5th Battalion, 11th Marines, 511, the unit that I spent with most of my time when I was down there in California. It is about to be decommissioned. They're going to get rid of that unit, and I'm not really sure why, because it's the HIMARS units, the batteries that they had that they were originally brought in the new weapon system. So I'm going to have to do some research and actually find out what are they doing with this unit what are they doing with all these weapon systems are they moving them to a different battery are they going to the east coast or where are they going one of the things that i did realize and i was doing some research online 
And, you know, when I was still on active duty, we always were wondering because the way that the HIMAR system worked, it's a rocket system. It's a rocket system that is launched from the back of a vehicle that they have a pod back there that actually holds six rockets. And, you know, it's set up and laid by GPS and you're able to get the coordinates and everything else of where it's going. And these are smart missiles that are able to pick up satellite signals that kind of help with the guidance systems to be able to actually engage their targets. But we always wondered, could you put it on the back of a ship and actually fire the weapon from the back of the ship? You know, the ship rocks back and forth and stuff like that. So is that a possibility? Could that actually happen to allow us to be able to do that? And I was looking at some pictures of the units that were out there doing training and everything. And I happened to run across a picture of a HIMARS strapped down to the flight deck of a naval vessel. And they were shooting the rockets from the back of the ship. So I'm going to have to do a lot more research because we always knew that it was a possibility that that could possibly happen. That, you know, nothing's going to prevent it from doing that because... The turret on that thing, you can rotate it around to be able to shoot the ammunition or the missiles from the back of it, and they'll be able to engage the targets to go inland or whatever. It's kind of like almost like a Navy destroyer that shoots the missiles from the the ship out into land, the targets, wherever they're planning to engaging the enemy down there. So it's a possibility. So most definitely I am going to have to do a lot of research and try to see exactly what they are doing now especially with those batteries you know with uh sierra tango romeo battery of fifth battalion 11th marines where are all those marines going to go now that they're being uh disbanded that unit's going to go away where are they going are they going to pcs them somewhere else or are they going to go to different units down there in las pulgas down there in camp pendleton you know 111 211 311 I know that over there at 510, when I was down there in Camp Lejeune, they disbanded 510. That unit went away as well. So I wonder if it's just a ongoing thing that they're going to be doing. I mean, I know that they are trying to downsize the Marine Corps, but, you know, they're getting rid of a lot of different types of weapon systems that the Marine Corps uses in order for them to be able to complete their mission, their task, all those things that they're doing to make sure that whatever the mission or wherever they're going to be sent to, the mission is going to be accomplished. And, you know, we are able to engage the enemy with mass power and completely annihilate them and allow us to be victorious and allow us to be able to be successful in the mission that we were trying to complete. Now, if we move on into October, this is Suicide Prevention Month for the service members. And I know that a lot of organizations out there, they do a lot of campaigning and a lot of things like that to ensure that those individuals know where they need to go, where they need to contact in order to be able to get some help and assistance for any issues that they may be having. So they know where to actually go because there's a lot of veterans out there that um, are dealing with different types of situations or, or the demons as we call it because of things that, they dealt with why they were an active service. And in the VA, they do have a suicide crisis lifeline where you're able to actually contact a certified counselor 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
they made it even simpler for you now. So all you simply got to do is just call 988 and it will connect you with a counselor that you're able to confidently speak to and it's confidential. Those conversations that you have with these individuals are, are confidential and they're going to be out there to be able to help you and guide you in the right directions and to get you the assistance to help or just simply talk to you. Because as we know, just a simple phone call, a simple thank you, hey, how are you doing, can be sufficiently enough to go ahead and to make those individuals feel that much better. I'm going to share you guys a little story. Well, not a story. Uh, yesterday, I had one of the Marines that served with me back there in Sierra Battery and in Romeo Battery when we did the invasion into Iraq. And a lot of individuals, especially now with social media, they post a lot of stuff out there and they put some comments out there that may not be the, I won't say the best comments, but their feelings or what they're going through, they kind of just throw it out there. And to me, sometimes I can think that it's a way for them to not get attention, but to reach out to try to just talk to someone. And, you know, this comment kind of made me feel a little weird with the way that the comments were put on there and what he was saying. And, you know, I just simply picked up the phone and I contacted him. And even if, you know, don't, I don't have their phone numbers or anything like that, with social media the way it is now through Facebook and all that stuff, you have the capabilities of calling them through Facebook for a phone call or a simple video chat. And, you know, when I say that I contacted him, you know, he, was, he wasn't surprised to hear from me, but he was just glad. He was happy that I contacted him, that I talked to him, even if it was for 10 minutes that we just talked about nothing. We talked about something, you know, as simple as some of the things that we did while we were on active duty. And I could tell that from the beginning when we started the conversation to the time that we were done, his mental state was completely different. It was completely different because he just wanted to speak to someone and be able to kind of share what he was going through and the feelings that he was feeling and you know I was able to have him contact somebody to come get him from where he was and you know just take him home take him home to be able to relax and spend time with family down there where he was and that just goes to show you that even a simple conversation that you may have with a fellow service member a friend or anybody just have that conversation with them because that can mean the world to them it may not seem like much to you as an individual, but it can make a huge impact on their life, on what they're going through, because a lot of veterans that are out there, they do feel alone. They feel alone like they don't have any family and they don't have anybody to talk to. So take the time. Take the time. If you know a service member, you know a veteran that is out there that you know that may be going through some issues, especially during the anniversary times of when they lost their uh, fellow brothers Marines, whatever they may be that they've lost down there in a combat environment, reach out to them. Reach out to them to let them know that, hey, you know, I'm here to help you if you have wanted, if you just want to talk or whatever. I'm here and I'm available to assist you. So remember that you can have them contact that VA crisis line at 988 and they will go ahead and be contacted uh, with a certified counselor or they can even simply chat they can text to that number as well. And if there's that individual that they don't like talking on the phone, they want to text to people like everybody nowadays, they can text with that counselor so they can guide them in the direction to find the help that they need or just simply just talk to them. Because most of the time, like I said, that's all 
that the service member needs. So remember, 988 is a simple number to remember. So if you know someone, give them that opportunity to go ahead and contact them and get some assistance. And let's go ahead and enjoy the rest of this week and, you know, have a great time and stuff and see what else comes up now. Now that the Marine Corps birthday is gone, hey, I guess now we'll move into Thanksgiving and have some turkey. But here's to look into a next year to a, a better, better 249th birthday of the Marine Corps, even though this one is already gone. Are you looking for a photographer who can capture the most important moments in your life? Look no further than Miguel Signs Photography. Miguel Signs is an award-winning photographer with a passion for capturing the beauty and emotions of weddings, family portraits, and special events. With years of experience and a creative eye, Miguel Signs will create stunning images that you'll treasure for years to come. Whether you're looking for a traditional wedding album, a unique family portrait, or a professional headshot for your business, Miguel Signs Photography has the expertise to bring your vision to life. From the initial consultation to the final product, Miguel Signs will work with you every step of the way to ensure that your images reflect your unique style and personality. Don't settle for mediocre photographs that simply document an event. Trust Miguel Signs Photography to create timeless images that capture the essence of your special moments. Book your session today and experience the magic of Miguel Signs Photography. Visit Miguel Signs Photography online at miguelsignsphotography.com to see examples of his work and schedule your appointment today. What we're going to do right here is go back. Way back, back into time. Last week, the division started moving and preparing for the attack as they prepared to tear down the last couple of barricades that were down there across the border and put knock the berms down and get ready to go. Well, this week, we're going to talk about how now they're finally ready to move and cross the line of departure and actually head into Iraq from Kuwait and get ready to engage the enemy down there across the border to make sure they're successful with their mission and the things that they got to do in order to make sure that they're successful. So let's go ahead and start talking about how the division was getting ready to cross that line of departure. In the latest of Fury and Fragos, the division issued the order for RCT-5 to initiate the attack. The main effort shifted from RCT-7 to RCT-5 to support the change. RCT-5 would attack in zone to defeat enemy forces and secure the critical oil infrastructure. This would prevent further destruction of southern Ramalia oil fields, would block the westward retreat of the alleged RG Brigade, or Republican Guard, and would isolate the 51st Mechanized Division. Now remember, the 51st Mechanized Division supposedly was starting to move towards the border to reinforce those units that were there. So this was going to be very, very important. With the accelerated timetable, the shaping fight took a new urgency. 3rd Ma and 11th Marines turned to the fight with a vengeance. With only a few hours before the scheduled division line of departure, aerial interdiction strikes were focused on the pre-attack targets identified by the division and previously cleared from the restricted target list. The previously scheduled preparatory fires syllabus was adjusted to the new timings and these fires began. Jabal Sanam was struck repeatedly in the afternoon and into the evening by fixed-wing strikes. 
At 0220 Zulu time, a section of Harrier jets dropped five Mark 83 1,000-pound bombs on Jabal Sanaa. Rotary wing strikes followed closely on their heels, and the Cobras closed in to kill anyone remaining alive on the mountaintop observation post. The rotary wing assets also flew against identified fixed border guard posts and gave them the similar treatment. Elements of RCT-7 deployed in the division security zone, enjoyed a front row seat to this awesome demonstration of firepower. And their confidence of the coming battle continued to grow. Now, it was the Cannon Cocker's turn. Now remember, the Cannon Cockers was me. That was us, 11th Marines Division. So it was our turn to prepare to engage the enemy to make sure that, that the infantrymen were going to be secure as they crossed the border. 11th Marine Regiment preceded RCT-5's attack with a 30-minute preparation fires on the enemy's artillery position. Ernest Hemingway once wrote, The world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. As the Marines of RCT-5 let her pass through the devastated Iraqi positions in the southern of Ramaya, Lieutenant Colonel Mark Toto expressed appreciation for their artillery brethren. Artillery did a hell of a job on the Iraqis. On 20 March, RCT-5, led by Colonel Joe Dunford, became the first major ground combat force committed to the removal of the Saddam Hussein regime. The major elements of RCT-5 included 2nd Tank Battalion, commanded by Lt. Col. Mike O'L, 1st LAR Battalion, commanded by Lt. Col. Duffy White, 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, commanded by Lt. Col. Fred Padilla, 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines, commanded by Lt. Col. Dan O'Donohue, and 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, commanded by Lt. Col. Sam Mundy. The RCT was supported by 2nd Battalion, 11th Marines, commanded by Lieutenant Colonel Paul O'Leary, Bravo Company, 1st Combat Engineer Battalion, commanded by Captain Brad Aiello, and CSCC-115, commanded by Captain Susan Thompson. Elements of 1st Radio Battalion, 1st Intelligence Battalion, and other supporting elements were included. The RCT's assault elements successfully crossed the line of departure at 17.30 Zulu, after smoothly adjusting to a timing that was nine and a half hours earlier than the originally scheduled H hour. So as we can see, they were devastating the Iraqi army with suppressive artillery fire that devastated them completely. And I can remember that fire mission when they said that it was a 30-minute fire mission from rounds going down range. That is no exaggeration because that's exactly how long it took us to engage the enemy with all the different high-explosive projectiles that we were shooting down range. Now, if you're interested in actually seeing the video, 
of 11th Marines engaging the Iraqi forces that night on March 23rd. I will go ahead and I'm going to post the link in the description of the podcast so that way you can take a look at it if you would like to. And if you do not have access to the the actual description of the podcast, all you simply got to do is go on YouTube and Google the 11th Marines Iraq 2003 and it'll show you the 11th Marine Division there when they're engaging those targets in Iraq for those complete 30 minutes that they were doing. Now, Captain R. Michael Akerson described the role into combat or the Iron Horse um, attack way that they did that. And this is what he said. Awakening at 01 on 20 March 2003 to don mop suits. Now remember, mop suits are the nuclear biological chemical suits that we have to wear to protect us from any kind of chemical agents that Saddam Hussein might send down to us with the weapon systems that he had. Comfort became the first, if unofficial, method for us to succeed. Casualty of this newborn war. Over the course of the next 12 hours, their brevity code, lightning, 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 would ring out at least three or four times, scrambling into Mop 4 became altogether too familiar. Every Marine is well-versed in sucking it up, enduring conditions that would floor the average civilian. Day one of the war was serving up an appropriate warm-up, some time to mentally dig in for an upcoming suffer fest. Ironically, Mop 4 does confer one advantage. At that point, the discomfort meter is already pegged. Simmering inside my NBC mask and protective gloves, I knew I was at a maximum. All clear would bring the luxurious pleasure of wearing only the mop suit, flak, and associated combat gear. That is, of course, until we're being shot at. At 1530, on 20 March 2003, Amid the bustle of last-minute preparations and adjustments, the words abruptly cut off a thousand preoccupied thoughts. We're going in two hours. So much for a 12-hour notice. A hundred faces, an equal number of expressions. Excitement. Fear. Concern. Relief that the waiting was finally almost over. Game day had arrived. Moving along the tanks of Delta Company... I exchanged hasty words with many of the Marines, particularly those of White 2nd Platoon. Some of this group included Major Cox, Captain Lindgren, Master Sergeant Easel, Sergeants Hughes and McDonald, Corporal White, Dulce, and Johnson, and Lance Corporal Juliana and Bowers. Major Payne jogged in, announcing our departure in 30 minutes. I gave a thumbs up saying, good luck, boys kick ass, and broke into a trot towards the command operations center. A voice on the track shouted an explicit announcing he had just seen an incoming Scud missile shot out of the sky. All eyes turned skyward. Remaining there to watch the light show provided by outbound ATACMs and wrap rounds, not long after that, lightning, lightning, lightning was heard. Sweet. Mask up and we settled in for the inevitable. A long night in mop level four. We were amazed but not complaining when we received the order to unmask. Back in monitor mode and Bravo Company rumbled through the breach. 
Each Marine was absorbed in his own thoughts, isolated from one another, over 80 decibels of a mechanized racket. So that's just a point of view of Captain Michael Akerson on what he and his unit were going through during that time when it was going to allow the division to actually head across that border and head into Iraq. But I got to tell you guys that those 30 minutes that the artillery provided the support fire were seen for many of the camps because it lit up the whole entire sky. It lit up the sky. And if you can imagine those rounds that you heard going downrange when they were calling the missions and to engage and to fire and all those different issues that they were doing, we were shooting what's called a rocket-assisted projectile or a wrap round. Now, this is a high-explosive round. weighs approximately about 103 to 107 pounds, roughly around there. It is a, a taller round, and it has a rocket cap on the bottom of it, so it's got rocket fuel on it, and it's got a little cap. Those little caps have to be taken off before the round is fired. Now, what that cap does, it allows for the round to extend its range to be able to engage these targets. Now, remember, it was already dark. I want to say it was about 03 in the morning when we actually engaged towards Safwan Hill and the 51st Mechanized uh, Unit Battalion that was coming towards us. And you could see these rockets when they ignited in the sky. So they looked like a bunch of little dots, and you can hear these rockets from far away. You would just hear that as it engaged, and it just continued to project the light of the rocket all the way down range until eventually it disappeared and you simply just heard the impacts of all that. And if you can imagine, you know, all of us, new Marines that have never been in combat before, never knew and understood what, you know, how it was going to be. But this 30 minute fire mission exhausted every single Marine on those cannons because remember the rounds weigh about 105 to 107 pounds of piece. Yeah, they had Marines load these rounds. Somebody pick them up, put them on the loading tray to load them into the howitzer. Back then, we had to load it manually. It's not like the howitzers today that you just put it on the loading tray and that would load it into the howitzer and all you got to do is ram it in. No, everything was done manually for us. We were still shooting the 155 millimeter howitzer, the M198, and everything was manual. And I mean, this beast weighed over 16,000 pounds. So you can imagine how not time-consuming, but how backbreaking and hard work it was on all of us, the Marines of 11th Marines, because we had to move these guns, traverse them from one into the other, and it never failed. It never failed that whenever we got there and we laid on a certain aspect of the fire to engage the enemy, when we had to support the units downrange, we, we knew we had to flip the gun all the way around to a whole different area and then engage the enemy for that mission. But the Iraqi army did not know what hit them. Because artillery came there. And General Mattis told him, I am not coming here to kill you. Please, don't force me. I did not bring artillery. But if you try me, I will annihilate you. And that's exactly what we did in order for us to be able to engage the enemy and be able to be successful in allowing the units to cross that border and head into Iraq. Hero Highlight. First Lieutenant Harry Lynn Martin was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor for gallantry at the cost of his life on Iwo Jima 26th March of 1945. 
Harry Lynn Martin was a member of the Barkas High School and from Michigan State College in East Lansing, Michigan, where he majored in business administration. At State, he was on the football and wrestling teams and did some boxing and skiing. He was a member of the Sigma Alpha fraternity and served two years in the cavalry unit of the ROTC. Following graduation in 1936, he worked in Honolulu, Hawaii as an office manager for the Hawaiian Construction Tunnel Company. On 25 August 1943, he was commissioned a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps Reserve. Following school at Quantico, Virginia, Second Lieutenant Martin completed the engineer school at New River, North Carolina, and was designated as an engineer officer on 13 March 1944. Assigned to 2nd Battalion, 16th Marines, Engineer Regiment of the 5th Marine Division, he joined Company C when he was designated as the battalion was changed to 5th Pioneer Battalion. Second Lieutenant Martin went overseas with his unit in the summer of 1944 and went into training at Hawaii. On 19 February 1945, D-Day, he headed on Iwo Jima in the Volcano Islands and before the day ended he had already sustained a slight wound. He was promoted to First Lieutenant on 1 March 1945, 25 days before his death. A few minutes before dawn on the morning of 16 March, the day the Iwo campaign officially closed, the Japanese launched a concentrated attack and penetrated the Marines' lines in the area where 1st Lieutenant Martin's platoon was bivouacked. He immediately organized a firing line among the men in the foxholes closest to his own and temporarily stopped the headlong rush of the enemy. Several of his men were lying wounded in positions overrun by the enemy and the lieutenant was determined to rescue them. In the action which followed, he was severely wounded twice but continued to resist the enemy until he fell mortally wounded by a grenade. He died 10 days later. The Medal of Honor and Citation were presented to his parents by Secretary of the Navy James Forrestal at a ceremony in the Naval Department on 6 May of 1946. First Lieutenant Martin was buried in the 5th Division Cemetery at Iwo Jima. At the request of his mother, his remains were returned to Ohio in 1948 for private burial in Oakwood Cemetery, Bucharest, Ohio. The quarter deck. The attack has finally, finally begun, and the Iraqis are starting to understand the devastation that the Marines are able and capable of demonstrating to them, especially the 11th Marines. Remember, General Mattis told them, I didn't bring artillery, but I'll kill you. If you don't listen and you don't do whatever you're told to do, I will decimate you. And that's exactly what he did. So as we talked about this week, as the division headed into Iraq and prepared to cross that line of departure, it's going to be a sight to see. and It's going to be so much drama. I won't say drama, but it's going to be interesting to find out exactly what was going on through the command's mentality during this time. I can tell you guys stories about what the mentality was for us as we went through there. But I want to find out later on next week on what the command was going through, what the other units were going through, because the only thing that we knew was what we, as the 11th Marines, were going through. 
Next week, we're going to talk about the events that occurred during the 20th and 21st of March during Grizzly while they were going in through the attack that they were going to getting across that line of departure and starting to head all the way down into Baghdad where they were going to head down there. First Lieutenant Harry Lynn Martin. Wow. It seems like almost every Marine that we've been talking about through the Medal of Honor was some kind of an athlete and things that they did, whether it was things during the university or college. But it's amazing how many Marines are out there that continue to do heroic things during World War II to ensure that their Marines to the left and to the right of them are taken care of and they're making sure that they're going to return home and be with their families for a long, long time once they actually get back home. So it's just stories like that that we're going to continue to follow along and learn more and more regarding everything that we've been talking about, all these Marines and all the things that they did to earn this Congressional Medal of Honor because, man, it's the highest award that you can possibly get. Now, next week, we're going to take a look at the story of Private First Class Leonard Foster Mason and find out exactly what he did in order to earn that Congressional Medal of Honor. Again, I want to take the opportunity to thank all of my loyal listeners that keep joining me every single week. Our audience continues to grow and grow every single week. And I appreciate the continued support to ensure that the podcast continues to grow and more people listen and it continues to be pushed out further and further throughout the United States. But also I've re- I realized through when I look into the analytics of our podcast, there are individuals that are listening in Texas and in England and places out there in Europe. So let's go ahead and continue to share our podcast to make sure that it keeps being pushed out there. And to all of you that are new, thank you guys for joining us here and listening. Do not forget that you can always comment, send questions to our Facebook page, The Quarter Deck with Gunny Signs, and it is available on there, as well as the polls and the questions that are posted on here on our Spotify player. Now, remember, if you do not listen to us here on Spotify, you can always listen on any of the podcasting applications that are out there. You can simply Google our podcast and it will show you exactly where we are being broadcasted at. So until next week, this is Miguel the Gunny Signs sounding Liberty Call. Get off the bus! I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. 